So we're moving through, the, you may be, this may be your first time or you're watching for the first time. Uh, we're moving through the letters, we call those epistles of the New Testament. So we have the historical narratives, uh, those are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the book of Acts is also historical. Um, then we move into what we would call the epistles, and those are the rest of the New Testament, and then we have Revelation, the one book that's apocalyptic. But when we go through these letters or epistles, um, ma the majority of them are written by Paul. Now, we've already gone through Romans, and we've, we've gone through First and Second Corinthians. Now we come to Galatians. Now, for some of you, you want to know where that is in the New Testament, because you maybe don't know your way around the New Testament. The Old Testament is, is two-thirds of the Bible. That's the first two-thirds. And then we come to the last one-third. That's the New Testament. And then you come to the Gospels, okay? So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John hold the horse while I get on, right? So you get there. Then you come to the book of Acts, which is right after that. Then you come to the book of Romans, and then you come First and Second Corinthians. Then you come to four letters, and we're going to talk about those in the next four weeks. They're letters by Paul. And a good way to remember them is their, Galat uh, their Galat uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And the way you remember that is uh, GE, uh, GE Electric, no, what is it? General Electric Power Company. General Electric Power Company. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're going to talk about Galatians today. All right. So hopefully that helps you. So I'm assuming that some of you are here, you've never gone through, or you don't even know what Galatians is. You don't even know what an epistle is. Well, you're going to learn today. So let's talk about that. In the book of Acts, and these, many of these books, these uh, letters, these epistles, are tied to the book the book of Acts because Paul wrote them. He may have written them on a missionary journey. He may have written them from prison. He may have visited the churches and then wrote letters back to the churches to encourage them or correct them. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, reasons. But here's what's going on. We read in Acts chapter 2 that a whole bunch of Jews had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And Peter got out, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 2. Peter got out and preached a sermon, and it said about 3,000 people were added to the church on that day. Okay? Now, these people all left. They all went back to their areas all over the Roman Empire. So you have people all over the Roman Empire that were there on the day of Pentecost, and they're starting to form these little assemblies, or what we call churches, because that's what a church is. It's an assembly of believers. And they began to gather, and so there were house churches. They were smaller house churches that would meet in different regions, in the region of Ephesus, in the region of Philippi, in the region of Galatia. We're going to talk about that. So there's these house churches that are, that are meeting in Galatia. Most of these churches began with Jewish people. You may not even know this, but the Christian church today began as a Jewish movement. They were all Jews on the day of Pentecost, and they went back, and so they began to share the good news. Now, the interesting thing about the good news is it was all-inclusive. It, it included both Gentiles and Jews together. This was a new thing. It was very different, okay? So the question was, and this is really, you'll see this in the New Testament, it's a real issue, and you see it in the book of Acts. 
what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Because they don't follow the law, and we as Jews came out of a very traditional follow the law and in the area of circumcision, in the area of worship, in the area of dietary laws. We have all of these rules and these regulations that we were supposed to follow. But now there's this new thing called the church, and these Jews and Gentiles are together. So the question is, what hoops do the Gentiles have to jump through to be part of the church? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow the dietary laws? Well, that was a big part of, if you go to Acts chapter 15, you see the pillars of the church. See, I was raised in a tradition where one person was seen as the, over the whole church, the pope, right? But if you read the New Testament, it's very interesting. You have James, who is the leader at the church of Jerusalem. And in, in the epistle, Paul talks about, in Galatians, he talks about the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John. And so we come to the Jerusalem council. James is there. Peter is there. Uh, the, the pillars of the church are there. And the real issue that they decided was, what do we do with Gentiles? Do they have to follow the law of Moses? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to follow the dietary uh, laws? And the council said, no, they don't. Now imagine growing up Jewish. It would be very hard to say, okay, well, you don't have to do that anymore. It's like, what? But, but that was our life. Well, this was the struggle. Now, you're going to see this as we get through the book of, of Galatians and the other epistles. You're going to see this is going to be a constant tension. Because the Gentiles had this freedom. They've always had this freedom. And they, some of them were jerks, and they tended to flaunt it. They, they could eat any food they wanted, but the, the Jews basically, some of the Jews held to a, a, a kind of a dietary standard. They wouldn't eat certain foods. And basically, Paul says, don't use, allow your freedom to be a stumbling block for your brother. He was talking to the Gentiles uh, about how they behaved with the Jewish people. What we're going to see here is we're going to see some other tension here. So that's kind of what's going on here. We have this, this new thing called the church, these assemblies in Galatia, these house churches, and we have a problem with legalism. That the Jewish, some of the Jewish people, and some of the, uh, there was a group of people that were coming from Jerusalem that were coming into these regions saying, You have to follow the whole law. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the dietary things. And, and Paul's saying, No, 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 you don't have to. You don't have to. This was a tension. All right, so I want to give you the context so you'll understand. And then when we read through this, you'll say, Okay, that makes sense. I see that coming through here. The point I want you to see in all of this, though, is legalism was alive and well in Paul's day in the early church, and it's alive and well today, all right? So let's talk about that. The real question is, what did a Gentile need to do to be part of the new community? So Paul begins to unpack the heart of the gospel. Um, he wanted them to know that if they add anything to the gospel, they lose the gospel completely. You, it's the gospel plus nothing. You can't add to the gospel. Um, so that's really important. Uh, go to uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. This is where we want to jump in for a minute. Now, most of the time when we see Paul's letters, he's greeting them, he's thanking them for many things. He's, you know, he's, <laughs> he just doesn't do that here. He jumps right into it. He says, you know, I need to talk to you guys about this. So he's trying to correct them about things that aren't right. Look at what he says in verse 6 of chapter 1. I'm astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So there are some people that are coming into these regions and they're preaching a a different gospel. And Paul says, there's no different gospel, there's only one. And if you add anything to the gospel, you lose it. Now notice what he says, this is really stern here. These are the sternest words that Paul writes in rebuke of any church. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be under God's curse, or let him be anathema, which means literally damned to hell. Pretty strong language, isn't it? But he's not done there. And we, as we have already said, now he's going on. As we have already said, so we say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So Paul is being very, very strong here. He's saying there is no other gospel, and if somebody comes in and tells you to add to the gospel, let them be damned to hell. He's not holding back, is he? he, Paul, tell us what you really think, right? (laughs) Well, he did. (laughs) So what does he do? Well, it begins very early that Paul is affirming his his apostolic authority and the gospel. So he talks about it in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, I was appointed by God. He said he received the gospel from Jesus Christ in chapters 1, verses 11 and 12. He says the gospel was affirmed by the pillars of the church Peter, James, and John, in other words, they said they heard his gospel and said, yeah, that's the gospel. By by the way, what is the gospel? The gospel, you can find it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6 or 7. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day. And he appeared to Peter and to, you know, that's the gospel. Um, the other thing that's interesting is at one point, uh, Paul rebukes Peter, the pillar of the church. Now, what was going on? Well, what was happening was Peter, from time to time, he would sit down and he would eat with the Gentiles. And he would eat food that was deemed unclean by some Jewish people. Now, remember, Peter, if you read in the book of Acts, Peter had this episode where God was lowering unclean food and he said to Peter eat and Peter says no it's unclean and he, and God says to him through the dream Jesus says to him through the dream what God has called clean do not call unclean now very interesting Peter is sitting down and having meals with Gentiles and then all of a sudden these strict Jews start showing up and Peter basically goes to them he flocks to them And he becomes a little two-faced, a little hypocritical, a little bigoted. He does that. Notice what he says. He says, when I saw, this is chapter 2, verse 14, 
When I saw that they were not, and he's talking about Peter and others, in li- they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to P- Cephas, Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, now I want to ask you a question here. Who are you trying to impress? Have you found that sometimes you behave one way in front of certain people and another way in front of other people? That's what Peter was trying to do. Peter was behaving one way in front of the Gentiles, and he was behaving another way in front of the Jews. He was afraid of being rejected or judged by the Jews, so he acted as though he didn't even know the Gentiles. I don't know them. I don't eat with them. I'm with you guys. Have you ever done that? And basically, Paul calls him out. He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Why do you do that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been a hypocrite like that? You see, what, what, what Paul was telling Peter is, Peter, why do you care so much about what people think? You're already accepted by him. Can I ask you a question? Why do you care so much about what other people think when you're already accepted by him? Play to an audience of one. That's essentially what what, uh, Paul is saying to Peter. Paul is saying to Peter, not only are you playing to various people and trying to be accepted by them, but you're mangling up the gospel. Don't do that. Here's what I found. I care too much about what people think and not enough about what he thinks. Is that true with you too? Have you found that to be true with you sometimes? Maybe we ought to knock it off, huh? What do you think? Well, what's the central theme of the book? Well, look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, so too, excuse me, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the work, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I was raised in a tradition. It said, follow this tradition, follow these rules, follow these rituals, and hopefully one day you'll be acceptable before God. When you read this passage here, it very clearly says that by trying to follow the law, rules, regulations, rituals, you'll never get to heaven. Now, maybe you're in-house here, and and you've been raised in that type of tradition, or you're watching online, and you think, have I done enough? Can I do enough? What do I need to do? And what you have to understand is Jesus has already done everything on the cross. His last words were what? It is finished. By the way, Abraham wasn't justified by the law, was he? Well, some of you who know the Old Testament know that Abraham came before Moses. The law came through Moses. Remember on Mount Sinai, he got the tablets? Well, Abraham was way before Moses. And, and, and so how was Abraham made right with God? By faith. By faith in God. By faith in God. The law came before uh, uh, Abraham through Moses. So Paul warns the Galatians that they're about ready to lose their freedom they're about ready to lose the gospel. That when we add anything to the gospel, we lose the gospel. So we need to be really careful about that. Now, what are the modern-day 
things that we add to the gospel. Because in their day, the, the thing they were adding, as you read about in Acts 15 and these other passages, what were they adding? Well, it was circumcision. They were saying Gentiles need to be circumcised to be part of the church, the new community, this, these assemblies. And they decided in the book of Acts that no, they don't need to be circumcised. That's not true. That's not the gospel. And that message slowly went out to the Roman world and to the churches. But what do we add today to the gospel? We don't add circumcision. What do we add? Baptism. I don't know how many funerals I've gone to where I've had the priest or someone else say something like, this person is with God today. Why? Because they were baptized. Or there's some churches that say the deal's not done until you're dunked. You know, you, 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 until you're baptized, the deal's not done. You have to believe in Jesus, but you have to be baptized too. What are we doing there? We're adding the gospel. Paul says, if you add to the gospel, you lose everything. You lose it. The other thing we do to the gospel is we preload the gospel. We say to people, uh, you need to clean your act up before you come to Jesus. You need to get rid of this. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to have different beliefs in these areas. And we want people to, to kind of have the right belief system. So we, and I think the why we do that is kind of we say, well, if they believe the right thing in social areas and political areas, um, if they believe the right things about uh, abortion and they believe the right things about sexuality and homosexuality and, and different things like that and gender identity, if they believe the right things about that, then they probably will believe the right things about Jesus. So we preload it. We, and we, sometimes we say, well, they believe the right thing here or, or sometimes we say they need to, that you need to get your behavior in line before you come to Christ. Now, you know what that's like? That's like going to the doctor and him saying to you, yeah, we're going to have to do, you know, you got, we got to do some bypass surgery. Your heart's not good. Have you noticed you can hardly breathe when you walk upstairs? Yeah, I noticed that. Okay, we're going to have to do some bypass stuff. But, but so how does it generally work? Well, you go in, you have the surgery first, right? You get your heart fixed, and then you do the rehabilitation, right? Slowly but surely, you do the rehabilitation. You know what we do? You know, can you imagine if we did it this way? The doctor says, well, we got to do some, we got to do some uh, bypass surgery. We, but here's what I want you to do. For the next month, I want you to exercise hard. I want you to get on a treadmill and really work out and really get going. You would die on that, right? It's like, no, that, that's like the worst thing you can do. You, that will kill you. You have to have the surgery first. Then you go through the rehabilitation. It's the same with the gospel. Do you realize that until a person's heart changes, nothing changes? Until they get a new heart and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing in their life is going to change. But here's what we do. We, we mess with the gospel because we say, get your life straight. Now get this belief straight. Now get this fixed. Then you can come to Jesus and have your heart changed. No, no, no. You come to Jesus with all your garbage, with all your baggage, with all your stuff, and you just say, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I realize I, I can't do anything, and I need you to come into my life and to help me. And Jesus says, I will, and he does. He comes into our life, and as he gave his life to us, we give our life to him, and, and little by little, he begins to fix us. But we have to have a new heart first. Peter says, don't get that order wrong. Because if you do, you lose the whole gospel. 
Paul's point in this is when you add anything to the gospel, you lose the gospel. And folks, people are still doing it today. All right, well, let's look at our passage. We only have a little bit of time to go through it, but we'll make it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, let me read you this passage, and then we'll talk about it. I just have three quick points. He says this, Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Notice the next verse. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he's going to contrast life by the flesh and life by the Spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice the contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Paul essentially is saying to this church that is warring about what should Gentiles be required to do in this battle between Jews and Gentiles, what he basically says is treat one another with love and respect. Be led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit when you deal with each other. Now, here's what I want you to see. True freedom comes as we keep in step with the Spirit. Paul basically says you're in danger of losing your freedom. You're putting yourselves under bondage that you don't need to put yourselves under. Three things here. Number one, you are responsible to monitor your heart. Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. What's interesting to me, as you read through these lists, it's very interesting, we like to categorize our sins. We like making some sins, oh, those are the bad ones, and well, that's not good, but it's not horrible. Like, let me look at, look at the list here. Let me read them to one more time. The acts of the flesh are obviously... Now just think of your own life here. Sexual immorality, nope, check, I'm oh, good on that one. Impurity, eh. Debauchery, nope, I'm good on that. Idolatry, eh, sometimes. Witchcraft, nope, I got that one, man. I'm not there. Hatred, oh, 
Discord, oop. Jealousy, oop. Fits of rage, oop. Selfish ambition, oop. We like to say, I'm not a witch, but I'm really envious. And I tend to sow discord. And I have selfish ambition. You see what we do? We make some sins acceptable and others bad. Paul doesn't do that here. And he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so what he's doing here is very interesting. He's saying at any moment, you know whether you're being led by the Spirit, you're in step with the Spirit, or you're being led by the flesh. (laughs) You know, there's no question about it. You know where you are. It's pretty clear whether you're, you're being led by the flesh or you're being led by the Spirit at any moment. And that can happen on a dime. There have been days, right, where you have been walking, you've been doing a good job, and all of a sudden somebody does something, somebody says something, and like a dime you switch. And all of a sudden you start doing and saying things, and when you get, you kind of get yourself, you lose your mind basically, you get your mind back, and you look back at what you did, and you go, how in the world did I just do that? You allowed the flesh to take over. By the way, he basically says if your life is characterized by these things, um, you're not headed for heaven. Notice he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, in other words, that's the way they live, that's the pattern of their life, that's their direction, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean you'll never have moments? No. No. It means, though, that if those are only what characterizes your life, then you've got to question whether you even know Jesus. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is that you're in a battle for your heart. The flesh is your old way of life. The spirit is your new way of life. And they're in a constant battle. Paul points this out. It's really interesting. In Romans chapter 7, uh, I think the verses will be up here, 21 through 25. There are scholars that say Paul wasn't a Christian when he wrote this. And there are scholars that say, no, he was a Christian. He's just being honest about his struggle. I think it's the second one. I don't think it's the first. But notice what he says. It's very interesting. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there for with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner uh, of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus. Paul basically says, I have done things and I have said things that I am absolutely ashamed of. I lost my mind. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, as Christians, we are in a battle for our hearts. But you know at any moment whether you're walking in the Spirit or where you're walking in the flesh. And what you have to do is catch yourself and say, okay, that was wrong. And you may need to go back to people and say, I was wrong and I take full ownership and I confess my sin to you. 
That's why the Bible says confess your sins to one another. That when you, when you get, you know, you go off on somebody or you do something, you go back and you make it right. You repent. You, you, you acknowledge your, your thing and you say this was wrong and I, and I take full responsibility for it. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? It's very rare, isn't it? It shouldn't be. Because we want to justify our behavior, right? Oh, they said this, they did this, so it's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. Basically, what Paul's saying here is at any moment, you are either walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, one, one church, and I heard it, and I like this. Remember those driver ed cars where they have the, the dual steering wheels and brakes and all that stuff? And so they're good because when you're driving, you're driving and you're just starting out, it's good when you're like veering in like too close to a car that you know, all of a sudden the wheel kind of pulls over. Well, it's, you know, the, the illustration they have is who's driving your car, your life? The community table is basically us saying, God, Jesus, you're at the wheel, you're driving. But here's what I found. Sometimes I grab the wheel and I grab the pedals. <laughs> Sometimes it's Jesus saying, I want you to go down that road. I don't want to go down that road. You know, and, you know, I don't want to go down that road or something, right? Or sometimes I just, I just take over the wheel. And at, at that moment, I have to stop because I've stopped walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. And I have to look over and I have to say, Jesus, I just took the wheel from you. I just took the wheel from you, Spirit of God. I give the wheel back to you. I take my hands off the wheel. Control me, guide me, direct me. Here's the third thing. You are able to change your heart. And that's the good news. The good news is before you were a prisoner, you were at the, at the you, you, you had to do the bidding of the enemy. You could not say no. You're no longer, you no longer uh, are held captive by your old way of life. It's no, it no longer has a way to control you. Here's what real freedom is. Because in our world, we think real freedom comes when I get to do what I want to do. That's very popular in our culture. Do what you want to do. Live your life the way you want. Be true to your heart. I can't think of many things that are worse than that. Be true to your heart. Because the heart is dis deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can trust it? True freedom comes when you allow the Spirit of God to fill you and guide you and direct your life. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, when you say, Jesus, take the wheel of my life, because what are you doing there? You're allowing the one who created the universe, that you're allowing the one who created you in his image, you're allowing the one who went to the cross for you and gave his life so that you could live and took your sins so that you can be forgiven to direct your life. And when you give up your freedom and allow him to guide you, you become really free. And that's why Paul says, if you put yourself under these rules and regulations, you're losing your freedom. And if you live your life selfishly for yourself and you follow your evil heart that has ways of just being a schemer and stuff like, and you live according to flesh, you will not find freedom, you will find prison but when you give your life to your creator and your savior you will become what you he designed you to be and you will find the freedom 
to soar, to become all that he designed you to be. Now, two of the best resources that I have found to help us in this process is God's word and God's people. You need somebody in your life that can help you, that can call you out. They can hear your words, because sometimes we don't hear our words. And Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So sometimes you're angry. You're spewing out all this anger, and you need somebody who can come alongside of you and say to you, what's going on in your heart right now? Because you sound super angry. Let's talk about that. Or sometimes you're really anxious. Your words are so anxious. They're anxious. And you need somebody to come alongside you and say, what is going on? You sound so anxious. Let's talk about it. They can bring you back down. They can, they can call you out. They can help you. Sometimes you have these words of fear. I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of that. And somebody hears those words. And, and, and then you say, they come to you and say, I hear these weird words of fear. What's, what's going on in your life that you're afraid how can I help you? Because if you're an adult, you probably have kids around you that are hearing that. And guess what they learn? They learn about fear. They learn about anger. They learn about anxiety. And they learn it from you. But if you're there to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to control you and get you back, what do they learn? I don't listen to my heart. I listen to His Word. I listen to his spirit, and God directs me, and he directs my life. So my question is, what's your next step? What is it that God is calling you to do? Is he calling you to serve? Is he calling you to give? Is he calling you to, to really take ownership for your sin? That when you blow up, when you have a moment, don't just say, well, I was raised in a bad environment or they did this. And Don't make excuses. Don't blame shift. Take ownership for it. Do you have somebody in your life that you've allowed to speak into your life? You've given them permission? Do you have that going on? Are you living in the freedom of the gospel? Maybe the one thing you should do is you should memorize that passage from Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. Just me memorize that this week and put it in your heart. Thy word if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe that's what you should do. But I know this, that everyone in this room and everybody watching, God is calling you to do something. Whatever the next step is, if you love him and if you belong to him, be obedient. Jesus said over and over, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I've called you to do? God has called you to do something today. Do it. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. Do it. Stand with me. Let's pray. Help us, Father, to keep in step with your spirit, to love our neighbor as ourself, to forgive our enemies, to work through conflict in a healthy way. Help us, Father, never to add to the gospel because when we add to it, we lose it completely. Help us to treat people with dignity and respect made in the image of God. But most of all, Father, help us to take whatever the next step your spirit has called us to take today. And let's not make excuses. Let's not put it off. Let's do it today. 
for, for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.